you know, when you win a few Grand Slam titles, you tend to get a little bit more preferential treatment. Plus. You know, the differentiation category does exist, and I, I think it exists in everything, and I'm not against it. I think it should exist. I think the delicacy comes in the subjective evaluation of who gets what, but the best players should get more. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. Welcome to this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We are recording this Thursday right around noon from Wimbledon 2016 at the All England Club here in SW19. We haven't had a ton of tennis so far, to be honest. We've had a bit of rain, a carryover from the French Open, perhaps. One difference is there is, of course, a roof here over center court. So we've at least had some matches that have been able to... uh, carry us through some of these day sessions, one of them involving Roger Federer, seven-time champ, and Marcus Willis, ranked number 772, has been the story of these first 72 hours, but not much in the way of upsets. Honestly, I don't think we've had a great classic match yet, but that's okay. It means the stars remain, and starting week two, they will populate the draw, no doubt. Our guest today is Paul Anacone, former player, Tennis Channel commentator and colleague, a tennis coach, probably best known for his work with both Pete Sampras and Roger Federer. Paul's one of the good guys of tennis and really insightful both with the X's and O's and also talking about tennis culture, um, which we, of course, like to do. So let's talk about the first three days of Wimbledon, and we will bring him in now, although he is seated right next to us. Uh, Paul, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Great to be here, John. What do we got? Well... Let's tell everyone when we're doing this. It's Thursday at about noon, so we haven't had a ton of tennis yet. Big story so far has probably been Marcus Willis. What's what's your takeaway from this one? I think it's great. You know, it's just what tennis players dream about when you're a kid. You never know where you're going to go or end up. And to see Marcus Willis, I've known him for over a decade. So after this long struggle, to see him get to play arguably the most accomplished grass court player and the most hallowed and precious grounds is a dream come true so for me it's just the epitome of sports right you never know what's going to happen were you surprised that uh i mean i think people outside sports say wait a second this guy's ranked seven seven two and he's beating a guy ranked 50 and he's taken seven games off the great roger Federer. how is that possible no i don't think so i mean he's been right around his best ranking is about 320 um so he's been up there and as the numbers get bigger the gaps get smaller so from 300 to 750, 800, there's not that big of a difference, and he can play on grass courts. But to get through the pre-qualifying, to get through the qualifying, and to beat Barankas, who's right around 50, 55 in the world, that's, that's a solid effort. But Willis can play on grass courts, and obviously we saw uh, quite a gap yesterday, but that's Roger Federer. So if you take Federer, Djokovic, take the big four out of the equation, who are just complete outliers, what is really the difference Generically, between a guy ranked 700 and a guy ranked 50. I mean, is that is it quickness? Is it five extra miles of pop on the serve? What, what separates those well, guys? I, I like to look at the rankings and I look at gaps and categories. You know, like I said, I think 300 to 700, you're probably not going to see a huge level difference. I think you can go, you know, you have great, which is the top few that you mentioned. Then you have the next category from, say, 6 to 20 that are all pretty close. Then you have 20 to what I would say 50, then 50 to about 150, 
then one, you know, you just categorize it, but the numbers as they get bigger, that level gap gets narrower. And at the top, they're better everywhere. They're better athletes, they're better mentally, and they're better strategically. So those best few have all the boxes ticked in the head, heart, and talent category. As we record this, Roger Federer is in the third round, Novak Djokovic is in the third round, other players have yet to finish their first round match. How stacked do you think tennis is in favor of the Stars? I mean, that, that, It seems to be a pretty big competitive advantage if you can stay on schedule and other players are having to play back-to-back best of five matches. How, how stacked do you think tennis is for the Stars? Oh, well, sure, especially when you get the roofs. When you get the roofs with the rain delays at the major events, when you have back-to-back days for the guys, three out of five sets, that's a big task. Um, so I think the best players that are getting around the show courts with the roof so that here in particular with the rain, they get to stay on schedule. That's a huge difference, particularly as they get older. So for folks like Roger Federer at 34 years of age, that means a lot to stay on the schedule. But it's a, it's a star-driven sport, isn't it? I mean, those are the guys that drive the, the meter. So I think that they're always going to be favored. That's a, that's a really good point. I mean, you hear some other players complain about that sometimes. And how come we've got to practice four to a court, but Novak can have his own court? And you want to say, well, what's... What's the alternative? Do you really think this guy driving the bus, who's this international global phenomenon, should be practicing with the qualifier? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like- when you know, when you win a few Grand Slam titles, you tend to get a little bit more preferential treatment. Plus. You know, the differentiation category does exist, and I I think it exists in everything. And I'm not against it. I think it should exist. I think. The delicacy comes in the subjective evaluation of who gets what, but the best players should get more. So yeah, it's the company parking spot out front for the boss. What's, um, you're, you're the resident Federer expert. What do you make of him through six sets? Three, three of them against a guy not in the top 500. But what, know, what do you make of him? Yeah, I always look at the great players to see how they are at the beginning of the tournament and how they react more importantly. I think Roger's been okay. You know, hasn't been great, hasn't been terrible. I actually think he looked a little better in the second match than he did in the first match. But the great players that have terrific composure, that don't have big reactions to their own average levels... Those are the ones that tend to sustain early level droughts in the slams. For instance, Novak now, I think in the last couple of years, is starting to realize just how great he is. So when he doesn't panic, he's unbelievable. And Novak hasn't played great either. I would say I give Roger a B, you know, and I expect that if he stays healthy, he's going to play better as the tournament goes on. Look for the great players with the big reactions. Those are the ones that are going to be vulnerable early on. Knowing, knowing him... As you do, can Roger Federer go through this event, not win, and still consider it a success? Or is he is he in trophy or bust mode? No, I, I think he has. I think that's one of the reasons why he's been so successful for so long. He has such great perspective. He understands that he's not going to win everything. I think his biggest goal tends to be to stay healthy and to put himself in a position where he can get to that big moment. And we saw it last year. We saw him get to the Wimbledon final and the U.S. Open final. So I don't think he's a purely result-oriented evaluator of what he does at this stage. And I think that's the main reason why he can keep playing, because he loves to play the game. And if he can stay healthy, his talents are still plenty good to get himself later in these major events. And if he gets there, I think the magic's still around. All right, Paul, hold that thought real quick. It's been an incredible summer for soccer fans Euro 2016 is rolling into the latter rounds. Chile wins a second straight Copa America over Argentina in penalties. Messi may or may not be done with international competition. And on Planet Football, you'll hear Grant Wall, Avi Creditor, and Brian Strauss 
analyze this summer of soccer and the performance of the U.S. men's national team, their guests like Jermaine Jones and Landon Donovan. Find Planet Football Podcast on your podcast app of choice or at si.com backslash podcast. If they speak about Iceland, which has absolutely captivated Europe this last week, so much the better. Give us three players. Again, this is a fluid situation because, you know, John Isner's up two sets to love as we record this. But he could, could be in the second round or he could be out of the tournament by the time you listen to this. But as of right now, who are three players on the men's side that uh, we should be keeping an eye on? Well, you've you got to go with the favorites. you got to go with, I mean, the three favorites, right. in my opinion, are, are Djokovic, Murray, and then I put Roger just behind that. And, and then after that... There are always some floaters. We don't know how healthy is Sangha. You know, is he going to be healthy? Nishikori's had a rib issue. You know, there are those floaters. You look at someone like Burdick that's gotten, you know, that's gotten to the finals here before. I think it's an exciting year. I thought at the beginning of this year we were going to see one of the newcomers get to play for the title. I thought it was going to be Dominic Team in Paris, and Novak slammed that door pretty hard. Um, but look for a Dominic Team. Look for uh, a Sasha Zverev, Abel to get to one of those big moments. And one of those big moments might not be a final, but it could be a final four. Dominic Team, I heard. Dominic Team has played 60 matches so far this year. Um, I'd heard from one of the practice court bookers that on off days he's doing two-a-days. Ever, ever heard of that one? No, well, yeah, I, I have, and I think that that's the next stage in his development to go from good to great is that you have to understand that, number one, you don't need that. And until you understand that you don't need that, you will get dependent on that. And by doing that, you cut. the longer you do it, the more you cut your career short. And if he wants to be great for a long period of time, he has to get comfortable with tapering off his preparations during events and also how many matches he plays during the year. But right now, he's still getting acclimated to that uh, next, next echelon of greatness. Have you seen the movie Big? You know, when John sure. Lovett, yeah. you're working too hard. Um, let's talk uh, women's side. We haven't had a whole lot of uh, we haven't had a whole lot of action. I honestly haven't had a whole lot of matches. Uh, anything anything stuck out so far on the women's side? Well, you know, for me, I always like to see some of the players that can do damage that we don't talk a lot about. To see Coco Vandeweghe get through a nice win in, in her match, and to see her, who's she's very dangerous on the grass. Again, you know, you have to go with Serena, and you have to go with Muguruza as, as the two favorites. Ivanovic falling early. We found out a little bit about a wrist injury for her. Um, I, I liked what I saw with Radwanska yesterday. She's so good on the grass in terms of um, absorbing pace and redirecting. The grass helps her finish points, so she can be very dangerous here. You know, John, I, I just feel like this tournament in particular, it's about Serena Williams. You know, if she handles the environment, she should be able to win this event playing her C level. And uh, we'll see if she's able to do that because she's lost two big matches this year in two finals. And for her, that's not what she would expect. But maybe she's getting a little bit vulnerable mentally at the biggest moments. Um, but she's still the best player, and she's the player to beat here. Rich Eisen does three hours of radio that becomes a popular podcast in addition to tons of work for TV for the NFL Network, and he's not shy in his opinions of former co-worker Skip Bayless. He wasn't shy in the SI Media podcast either with Richard Deitch. Rich Eisen, one of the top sportscasters in the business with Richard Deitch, one of the top podcasters in the business. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast app of choice, or at si.com backslash podcasts. Let me ask you about a friend of Sports Illustrated who uh, has been into our offices and been at some events. Is Carolyn Wozniacki, who now 
looked like she was going to fall out of the top 50. You're coaching a player like that, prime of her career chronologically, former number one, really struggling to win matches. What do you say? Well, well, now for me, it's an adjustment period. This, this is a, you know, this is a time to look at what you want to do. She's been number one in the world. She has to be incredibly self-aware right now and decide what she wants to do. And what what that is then sets up the plan to move ahead. If she wants to still continue to play tennis at the highest level, she's got to be a little bit open-minded. She's got to reevaluate and readjust and come up with a plan to commit. You know, Caroline's game is a game similar to Radwanska about absorbing pace, being a counter-puncher. She's not comfortable being real aggressive. And in today's game, I think she needs to open up and be a little bit more aggressive. We've talked about it a lot. She's a terrific athlete, a great mover, a great competitor, but now she's got to free up the swings a little bit. So her, it's about just kind of a, a reevaluation, and every player goes through it. You know, the best players, they do it more publicly, but we see it at different stages of, of their careers. And now at this stage for Caroline, she needs to just sit down and figure out what she wants to do and, and what her expectations and goals are and then make the plan. So first three days, one thing we've heard uh, over and over again is sort of, well, it depends on Rio and I need to get my body right for Rio and the Olympics changed my scheduling, but Rio, you know, four years ago, the Olympics were here at the All England Club. And so the players played Wimbledon. Some of them even stayed in the UK. They went to a facility they were familiar with. Everything seemed to work great. A little bit different this year, going to a continent where you wouldn't ordinarily go in August. Where do you think, I mean, you'll be part of the NBC Olympic tennis team. Where, where do you see the Olympics fitting into the tennis firmament? I, I just think it's a very, dis, look, we've always had a very disjointed tennis calendar. You've lived it with us all along as a part of the tennis family. And, and when you throw the Olympic years in, it gets to be such a mess. And you, you look at these top players that are playing the French, Wimbledon, potential Davis Cup tie right after Wimbledon, Olympics, and the U.S. Open in three months, and then Davis Cup right after the U.S. Open. I mean, that is a lot of major events. So it becomes very disjointed and very difficult for the players to prioritize their issues. There's no second-guessing what the Olympics means. The conversation is about what does it mean in each sport. And, and tennis is a, is a late joiner to the party, as golf has just become as well. So really, it's a personal preference. And I think there's a lot of hard questions that the players have to ask themselves about how they schedule. Do you like it? I mean, is it, is it a force of good? Are you glad it's... I, I think it is, but when you take it in and of itself, I, I don't believe there should be Davis Cup and Fed Cup in Olympic years. If they really want right. to make it work, right. get rid of Davis Cup right. and Fed Cup, those Olympic years. I think that there's been a long-standing issue with the calendar, and the best way to make it... Um, at the level it should be is to make it work on the calendar and that's losing Fed Cup and Davis Cup during the Olympics that uh, that would make way too much sense <laughs> for uh, for tennis but you, know, I mean, you, you, done, you talk but... to some of these guys and they say you know I'll fly 120,000 miles this year and it sort of makes for a fun little factoid but you really think about that and you think about jet lag and you think about going through airport security and delays and there's a lot that goes into being a tennis pro that it has nothing to do with hitting a ball over a net. Right, and, and people don't know the cumulative effect. You know, you know how, you, how you feel the next day, you know how you feel the next week, but what does it do to your career? And, right. and that's what people weigh, and that's why all of our domestic sports, basketball and football and, and tennis, I'm sorry, and baseball in the States, it's, 
they're rigorous, but they're domestic. You know, we're flying all over the world 40 weeks a year for 10 years, and it's an individual sport where you can't hide. So for me, there's no quantitative measurable data to say what that does to you. You throw in the Olympics and you throw in crazy continents and Davis Cup matches and Fed Cup matches, it is really difficult to sustain it. And for the young athletes, they do it better, but the older you get, the faster the clock ticks. I heard a great. I heard two great pieces of advice on that topic. One of them was, whatever you can do not to economize. Like you know what, invest the extra money, eat the salad instead of the airport burger, even if it's two dollars more. Stay at the nicer hotel. Use your upgrades if you can. The other thing I heard about that was, take very lightly people who say, "Oh, I took a set off of so and so," or in a game to eleven, I once beat Roger Federer. You don't know if he just got off a plane. You don't know if he was. Jet lag, flying in from Tokyo, very easy to have one bad day at the office. You're exactly. never quite sure what's going on the other side of the net. Yeah, exactly. And, and almost, unfortunately, doesn't count for much. You know, there's lots of almosts in life. It makes you, maybe makes you feel better. Uh, made Marcus Willis feel better to you know play better. How many how many guys are but, saying that guy that guy Willis? They've got the right, second round of right. Wimbledon. I beat him. Uh. Right, exactly. So everything is about your perspective and how you receive the information. But in terms of economizing, whether it be diet, rest, where you stay, how you travel, as an athlete, you have to be really careful because that stuff adds up. All right, last question. Let, let's stick with Marcus Willis because again, through seventy two hours, very few upsets. We've had a bit of rain. Uh, it's been a quiet tournament so far, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Marcus Willis has been the story. Uh, if you're guessing, a as an experienced tennis coach, but also knowing him personally, a year from now, are we saying what was the name of that guy that got qualified, won around, and played Federer, or is this someone that's yeah, joining the cast? Uh, here? Unfortunately, that's the harsh reality of it. Because at 25 years of age, if we haven't seen much of someone till that point, and not not a lot, but just much. I mean, like I said, Marcus's best ranking was 320 so far. So he, he really hasn't been knocking on the door of the top 100. So that would indicate that over a long period of time, he's not, not able to sustain the level that got him to win the three pre-qualifying matches, the three qualifying matches, and the one first-round match. So there's a reason he hasn't been able to do that. So unless he changes something, I fear that this could be, you know, just one of those dreams where he got that moment. And they say in life everybody gets 15 minutes, but... For his sake, I hope got eighty four. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully for him, this isn't it. No, someone someone said to me, "Are you surprised that he played so well on center court?" And I said, "No, no, I center court you can get up for. It's when you're playing in back courts in front of uh, you know six fans and a dog that uh, it's hard to exactly. And and again, that's why you know we talk about the long year and the long career. There's a lot of matches that make it up, but you can have that moment and. And Marcus had more than that moment. He did it in pre-qualies to get through. He did it in qualies to get through and had a nice match against Barankas in the first round. There was an opportunity there, and he grabbed it. And um, But it was, I mean, it is such, it's such a great story, and he's such a good kid. I couldn't be happier for him. Here, here's a sentence I suspect, as a kid, you never thought would be said, but we're going to wrap this up because you're doing makeup. All right. <laughs> Lots of makeup. <laughs> uh, that was great. We'll do it again next week. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Paul. All right, that does it for this edition of the Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Thanks, Paul Anacone, for stopping by. We'll do it again next week when hopefully we have some more matches, no doubt have some more stories up on the board. It's been an interesting three days, a little bit on the wet side, but again, we're seeing the benefits of having 
a roof over at least one of your show courts. We'll come back and uh, talk some more tennis in a few days. Thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. Thanks to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Lasanti, who's doing terrific work at minus five. That's time differences back in New York. You can follow me on Twitter at John underscore Wertheim. Subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. The whole SI network is at si.com backslash podcast. We have a lot of good stories this week, a lot of where are they now stories, including Tim Layden's Insta Classic on Caitlyn Jenner. Again, enjoy the tennis from Wimbledon. We'll do it again in a few days. Thanks, everyone. Have a good weekend. We'll be right back.